Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 21 this morning. We are as realistic as Jesus Christ is realistic at Calvary Baptist Church. Remember what he said? It is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. We bump into each other. Last week we talked about how God wishes for us to conduct ourselves as we follow Christ with honor and love. That's Romans 12, 9 through 13. That's how we relate inside God's family. Then in verses 14 through 21, he talks about, among other things, he does speak of relating inside, but he mostly speaks of how we relate to those outside, including how we relate to our enemies. One conundrum we face in our fallen, broken world is we run into adversaries. How are we to act? How are we to respond? What do we do? Our father Adam has built in a default response to our enemies and to affront and to offense. It seems intuitive to us to seek revenge, get back, stand up for ourselves, and take care of business. And it can all seem so right but it's not the way of Christ. Dallas Willard wrote a book a few years ago on the way of Christ, the way of living for him, and his title was fascinating, The Divine Conspiracy. It's like, what? God is involved in a conspiracy? And the idea behind the book was that in the way Jesus lived and invites us to live, God was going to overthrow the powers of this world and bring the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is that the way of Christ is diametrically opposed to the way of the world. God's plan to take over the kingdoms of this world is through nullifying them through the way of Christ. But it's an upside-down kingdom, or so it seems. Bless our enemies, pray for them, do good to them, do good to them, entrust ourselves to God, and in so doing, we'll honor the Lord and overcome evil. Who would have thought that Jesus Christ would take over the world through giving himself to death? And yet, that was a part of the plan. Now, this morning, I'm going to read this passage to you, but before I do, I want to tell you the two directions I will go after I read it. I want to make three observations about the theme, which is how to respond to our enemies that's before us in these verses. And first, I want to make three observations. So that's the first direction. And then, secondly, I want us to consider practically how do we respond to our enemies? What are we supposed to do? How do we act in a broken world we shall face them. Romans 12, 14 to 21. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty 
but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Hear the word of the Lord. Three observations concerning facing our enemies. These three will help us get into the theme of this section in Romans 12. Observation number one. Our enemies can be used by God to help us grow up in Christ. Eric, I have enemies. Well, have you ever thought the thought that God can use your enemies to help you grow up in Christ? But before we get too carried away with inventorying the number of enemies we have, I want to say two things to you. Number one, let us not dare act in ways that create enemies. Eric, I got a lot of enemies. Well, how many of them do you have because of how you've acted toward them? Uh, Don't have a pity party for yourself if you're making enemies. Secondly, don't make them up when they aren't there. It was said of Billy Martin, the coach of the New York Yankees in a former generation that George Steinbrenner fired five times. In his biography, his biographer says that he had a terrible issue with this. He constantly went around believing that everybody was against him and was his enemy. Do you have tendencies like that? Do I have tendencies like that? That's not a good way to live. Whatever's good and honorable and right and pure and lovely and virtuous and morally excellent, let our mind dwell on those things, not thinking about, well, I know that person, that's my enemy. No, no, that one is too, I can tell. Well, how can you tell? I watched him breathe, you know. The reality is, along the way in a broken world, though, enemies actually do come. The most hurtful enemies are ones that are closest to us. The most painful thing is those relationships most close to us. A spouse, it's tragic. When a spouse comes to be an enemy. A child, extended family, a parent. The closer they are, the more we love them, the higher the expectations are. It's the same in God's family. We are hurt more about division from a brother or a sister in God's family than we are about division outside of God's family because we have very low expectations for those outside of the family of God. 
we have higher expectations along with higher affection. And therefore, when there's division in the body, it's pain intensified, is it not? But it's also true that living for Christ in our age will bring us enemies. Gospel people are said to be bigots, judgmental, those on the wrong side of history. But there is a silver lining to enemies. Maybe you've not thought of it before. Erwin Lutzer said, our enemies can take us farther with our Lord than our friends ever could. Ever had a dust-up with an enemy drive you to pray and seek the Lord and bring out your conscience before the Lord and weigh it through like no friend has ever brought you to do? God can actually pick up in his sovereignty an enemy as an instrument in his hand and chip away at the carnality of our heart and the idolatry of our heart and the trivial, petty things that we get our axle wrapped around. It's a fascinating thought that God uses our enemies in our lives. The second observation is that some enemies are unresponsive to our posture of grace, blessing, and peace. We read this passage, we look at verse 18, we look at verse 20. Notice what it says, if possible. Now that condition, if possible, suggests this, it may not be possible. If possible, notice the next qualifier, so far as it depends on you. The, the, the phrase from the King James is kind of iconic and memorable. No, we don't talk like this, but you, you just can remember it. As much as lieth within you. Are we offering to our Lord as much as lieth within us to work at relating with others. The Bible in this sense is very straightforward and realistic. We cannot unilaterally heal all divisions. We can give our dead level best, and doesn't this sound like an echo of the Sermon on the Mount? Love your enemies, pray for your enemies, return good for evil. This is an echo of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the way of Christ. But we can do, we can check the boxes in terms of, God, what would you have me to do? Okay, I want you to pray for your enemy. Check. I want you to do good to your enemy. Check. Does your enemy have any needs? Take care of the needs. Check. Bless your enemy. Check. You can say, well, I... I checked all the boxes, and the needle didn't move. There's still an enemy. And you say, what, what gives? Well, that's why I love this realism. As much as lieth within you, do you realize it's possible to do everything right and honor the Lord with your response and not have everything healed in the relationship? But I don't know about you, but back to this, as much as lieth within us, I want us to grab the bat, 
get in the batter's box and swing as hard as we can. And we might whiff really badly, but on the great day, we can say to our Lord, I stepped into the batter's box and as much as life within me, I did everything I could. Bless, prayed, returned good for evil, sought no vengeance, sought no retaliation, and the needle never moved. But I want you to know you will not be ashamed of what you've done when you stand before the Lord and hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You see, God's commands are not utilitarian. They're not just, we'll utilize them for a good outcome that we will like. No, they're about honoring him because he is holy, not because it makes our life better. And when we stand before him and give an account for how we have responded, I just want you to stand there tired with me because we swung the bat real hard and even if we missed the ball and there was no outcome, he saw our swinging and our effort. And if you're here in the midst of stepping into a moment and as much as lieth within you, you're offering that to the Lord and you're discouraged because you don't see the needle moving, I want you to know how much pleasure God takes in you seeking to honor him in your obedience. Enemies will come, notwithstanding our best efforts to respond to them. But on the great day, let us present to our Lord a whole cache of efforts that we've put into reconciliation and peace and grace and love and hope. Third observation, verse 21. This one should send a shiver up our spine because think of it with me, and let's be honest with each other, in a painful relationship, being conquered by evil is a threat. Look at verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil evil with good. We need to look down the barrel at what is possible. It is possible for us in doing this holy, hard work to become frustrated and actually to become overcome with evil. Getting overcome with evil. There's all sorts of forms that this takes. It's polymorphous in that sense, many forms. Some give up a pursuit of Christ and just embrace evil. Others are given to disappointment at a deep level and despair. Others are given to self-pity. And then some simply flame out in the works of the flesh, bitterness, anger, wrath, and malice. You say, Eric, what are you talking about? Let me ask you, think through your experience socially. Have you ever run into anyone who bore the distinguishing marks of having been torched in a relationship that scarred them? It was as if after that torching, you could not only see the wounds from being burned in the relationship, but that they were actually debilitated by it such that they bore the distinguishing mark of being crippled by it. And thereafter, they were different. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, this is the sober part of the passage, and it moves us to three clear instructions. 
Okay, then, Eric, what does the passage say about dealing with our enemies? Now, let me say this. I'm so glad, and this is, this is one of the most profound insights of this morning, actually. But it's not going to sound that much. Romans chapter 12 precedes Romans chapter 13. No kidding, that's about the best I got this morning. Romans 13 is going to talk about government. And it's going to allude to the fact that it has given government the sword as an instrument of justice. And in the ordination of government, we're going to look at it, it's not yet, 13 will be there next. This Romans 13 passage is talking about nation states dealing with with injustice and evil. And he has given human government the sword to put down evil and face it. Because if you say, oh, Eric, I'll tell you what, we are, I'll tell you, I could advise, uh, for example, this morning in this tragic melee, I could advise uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, if he asked me what to do, I'd say, you know, turn the other cheek, be good to your, you know, don't, don't you know Jesus? I know you're Jewish, but, you know, he's got a plan here, and it's, it's, it's about doing good to those of you. This Romans 12 is about personal relatedness to each other. Romans 13 is going to talk about relatedness of nation states to each other and to evil and how in this sinful world God has ordained human government to face that. We'll get to that but that's important to keep in mind. For example, I got a buddy who's aching, and he's a small businessman, and he got sequentially, back to back, it seemed like, uh, two clients who gave him bad checks. And so now he's into, you know, just ch chasing this down, trying to do it, you know. Justice and civil governance, fall, what's, what's he supposed to do? Turn the other cheek and... and uh, take all the hits and uh, let his business go down the drain. Well, the, God has ordained government to have an orderly society. This is a preview. Romans 13, we'll get there. That's not what's being discussed here. This is about personal relatedness between workmates, neighbors, ball team members, social club interaction, families, churches. How do we respond? Now, there's four negative imperatives here that we are going to make three postures to respond to our enemies. The four negative par uh, imperatives, commands are, do not curse, do not repay them evil for evil, don't take revenge, and don't be overcome by evil. Now, those four things, we're going to parlay those into three positive postures before our enemies. Posture number one, what do we do, Eric, in the face of our enemy? We are humble. Look at verse 16. Live in harmony with each other. Next sentence is how you get there. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. There's a proverb, Proverbs 13.10, that says, only by pride comes contention. So whenever you see contention, you know in the mix is pride someplace. 
And so in the midst of contention, one of the best things we can ask ourselves is, Lord, where is my pride affecting this circumstance? And many times I find myself, you know, I'll start to get overblown about something's going on. And it's more related to my pride than it is my perceived offense. And so when I humble myself, it's amazing how, you know, that it just it all kind of fades away. Only by pride comes contention. Stories told about a man who was marooned and lost at sea and found an island and made a life for himself there. And he was there for 40 years by himself. And a ship came by and said, look, that looks weird. Look at that. Somebody has a little compound over there. And, and so they came by and he was so thrilled. And they came on the island and he, he finally saved. He said, dude, tell us about your life here. We don't understand it. And he said, well, they said, what's that building? He said, well, that's my house. And they all said, well, you know, everybody needs a house. Yeah. He said, well, what's that building? He said, well, that's, that's my church. And they thought, oh, that's good. He has a place of worship. No wonder he got on for these 40 years. He said, well, what's that building? He said, oh, that's my former church. Couldn't get along. I had to go to another church, you know. <laughs> Now, we laugh so we don't cry because that's about as ridiculous as some stories I've heard for 40 years about how people make decisions about what to do. It's amazing what humility does. Worldly wisdom says nice guys finish last. The humble don't inherit the earth. They get crushed by the alpha wolves. Jesus said, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and let him exalt you in due time. 1 Peter 5, 6. Pride messes up everything. Humility is so beautiful. Chief Justice Hughes, recently appointed, came to Washington, D.C. to serve as the Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court in a former generation. He was a happy follower of Jesus, a Baptist man, no less, who wanted to join a church that was full of life in Washington, D.C., and so he did. Their particular drill for joining the church was when you got to that point, you were called up front and introduced, and so with a group of people, he was introduced that morning, I believe, with his wife. Now, one of the first men to be introduced was an Asian man who was a janitor at a forsaken place in Washington, D.C. And when he was introduced to this crowd, he came up front and he stood on one side of the stage. And then the other people were introduced, and as it just so happened, they began to gravitate to the other side of the front of the auditorium, and so it, 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 it got a little awkward because you had this Asian man standing on one side and you had other people gathering and then it came time for Chief Justice Hughes to be introduced to his wife. When they were introduced, he got out of his seat and the first thing he did was beeline to stand right next to that man up front. And many were struck with that gesture. Uh, humility is so attractive. One of the best things we can do around our enemies is be humble. Now, secondly, the second posture is we choose the path of non-retaliation. 
We choose the path of non-retaliation. Look at verse 17 and verse 19. Repay no one. Please notice the unequivocal terms that are used. No one and never. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Verse 19, beloved, never, never. It doesn't say seldom do this. Just pull this out three times in a lifetime. Uh, just every once in a while, you'll need it, but not, don't make it regular. No, he says never do this. None, zero, zed. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay says the Lord. We choose the path of non-retaliation. Isn't this a page out of Jesus' playbook, 1 Peter 2, 23? For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was the deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges rightly. By the way, the way of Jesus is the way of non-retaliation. It's the way of never retaliating. Now, this is clear, but it's not easy. Don't retaliate. We love revenge. To us, revenge seems like justice, doesn't it? We love movies about revenge. You know, we can't get enough of Liam Nielsen, you know, getting guys who got him. Uh, revenge. We get this from Adam. Verse 17 says, repay no one. Look for ways to honor them, quite apart from repaying them. And notice, vengeance is mine, I will repay. I suppose it is possible to have that be your life verse. As long as you will promise me that you will read the rest of the verse and incorporate that into your method of operation, saith the Lord. Because I know some folks, their life verse is, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Me, I will repay. You mess with me, I'm gonna mess with you. And we get this tendency from Adam and Jesus comes to introduce a Jesus kind of life that is different. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. God works in the space of vengeance. There is only one person who has the franchise for vengeance. It is the living God. You know, there are subways everywhere. And they're, part of their business plan is to put them in small towns where there's nothing else there, so they're the only game in town, and they sell a lot of stuff. They're everywhere. There are a lot of franchisers that have several stores themselves, of Subway. There's only one person who has the franchise on vengeance, and it's our holy God. And we leave it with him. We leave it. With him. Verse 19, notice the word leave is there. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. It's a verb which means leave room for God to work in that space. 
You say, Eric, I, I've read those words. That's fine for the Bible to say that. But you know what? I, 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 uh, I go ahead and help the Lord out a little bit in this area. Because I've never seen him do this. Does he do it? I will repay? I haven't seen him repay. Well, let me ask you this. Does our lack of seeing him repay have anything to do with squeezing him out of that space with our attitudes and our spirit and our slights and our passive-aggressive retaliation against being hurt by others? You see, if we're pushing him out of that space, it's no wonder he doesn't work. What if we left it all to him? Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. This is the same verb used in Ephesians 4.27. Don't get angry and have anger ruin your life. By the way, when you have anger in your life, Paul says in Ephesians 4.27, you give room to the devil. You give him space to work in your life. It's the same verb. What happens here is when we are hurt, when someone has treacherously treated us terribly, we don't retaliate. We pray, bless, do good, and wait and watch and let him occupy that space of vengeance. Any of you need to get out of that space this morning? Has God brought you here to give up your posture of, I'm, I'm going to get him. I remember one night, just, uh, I was guarding a guy in practice in college, in basketball. And um, he was a tall, thin guy. He was taller than me. And he, and he was bony. He didn't have any meat. He was an ectomorph. And um, he wheeled around real hard and took his elbow which was like a saber, and, and, and he thrust it in my ribs, and oh, it hurt, and I, I lost my breath for a minute, and I grabbed a hold of his jersey, and I said, I'm going to get you, and we kept scrimmaging. Well, there came a time, and, and at the time, a guy, uh, kind of a rough linebacker for the Cowboys, this is way a long time ago, it was a guy named Harvey Martin, but anyway, that, just keep that in mind, but anyway, so the, the ball uh, caromed in a play and he was standing there and he went to grab the ball like this oh and I thought oh that's my opening and I, I went for the ball but, but I, I, I went flying through the air with my hips and hit him in the chest and just trucked him really good and the coach threw me out of practice and so I'm standing on the sidelines and this senior who had been out of the drill he, comes, he goes hey Mounts what was that Harvey Martin over there? <laughs> what were you doing? And um, what I was doing was I was exacting revenge. It felt so natural and good, although it actually did nothing to enhance that relationship. In fact, I had to face that with him afterwards. It's a lot easier just to uh, leave it with it. Are we crowding God out of his rightful place? The third posture is this, we act to bless and bring good to our enemy. This is the hardest work, but it's the way of Jesus. Look at verse 14, look at verse 20. Bless those who persecute you. Bless, he says it twice. We probably needed to hear it twice. Bless and do not curse him. Verse 20. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. 
For by so doing, you'll heap burning coals on his head. That has intrigued readers of the Bible. What does he mean, you know? Because we, we read it and say, oh, yeah, it's retaliation by another means. I'll set his hair on fire. Uh, give him like a coals on his head. Well, it is true that in cold times, they, and I don't know how they would have had these hats without promoting a fire, but they would put these things in the fire and they'd get all hot and they'd wrap it up in a cloth and they'd stick it on their head. And if they're out on a cold night walking from this place to that, it would actually help them. And so the idea would be, to, it would be a blessing to have that on a cold night. Or rather, I take it that it's not, hey, let's set their hair on fire because they've hurt us and that'll be funny and I'll really enjoy that. That's not it. That's not consistent with the blessing and, and doing good. But the idea is when your head would get warm in one of these hats that had that stuff, your cheeks would become flush. They'd take on a little color. They'd get red. Now, it is also true that when people experience a sense of shame, they might blush. They might look red in the face. That's even an English phrase for such. So the idea is that God may use our praying, our blessing, and our doing good to make that person think about what they are doing, possibly bringing them to shame and repentance, coals on their head, red on their cheeks. I take it that's what he's getting at here and talking about it. God may use our kindness, our blessing, our praying, and our response to turn our enemy toward God and toward us. Eric, I've, it doesn't work. I've never seen it. Well, again, does that have anything to do with never giving God the opportunity? Well, Eric, I don't know what to do when my enemy bears down on me. Yes, you do. It's right here. Be humble. Don't retaliate. Be a blessing. And do good. And honor the Lord. The best way to get rid of an enemy is to turn an enemy into a friend. That too is a part of God's playbook. Let's pray. Father, It is inevitable that stumbling blocks come and even in your family we offend each other and we need to forgive and pour grace on harsh spots. Will you help us do that right now? Father, in a broken world, mixing it up with a secular, radically secular world where increasingly gospel people are not viewed as the best, the good people. They're viewed as enemies. We have enemies. We're thinking of them now. Give us grace to bless them, to be good to them. Give us grace to humble ourselves before you. Help us. For any Lord who are
are bearing the distinguishing marks of being overcome by evil, will you rush in with healing mercies now and right now? Oh God, help us be people of Jesus who live like him. Demand what you will, but provide what you demand. In him, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing. Let's prepare our hearts for the table. Brothers, if you are serving the table, I'd like to ask you to come as we sing. Thank you. Let's sing this together. We will